Hi, welcome to Marvelous Mysteries, the podcast. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Jaden. And we're going to do some icebreakers and then read some mysterious topics to you guys this week, as normal. Um, so, I don't know, I didn't read these. Okay, so these are, there's only like two, really. But the first one is, what is your, what was your favorite subject in school? Like in high school or whatever. Probably yeah. art. That counts. Unless you mean like an actual subject, in that case, English. That's an actual subject, I would say. But, um... Okay, English. Mine changed literally depending on my teacher or depending on the circumstances. So, like, my freshman year, it was English. My sophomore year, I don't know. I think it was biology. Then, like, my junior year, I don't don't know if I liked anything. (laughs) I probably liked, like, human physiology or, like, something, like, an elective. Then my senior year was, like, AP calculus. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was kind of the same for me because... It was, like, just usually an English course of some sort. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, my junior and senior year, I had this one creative writing teacher, and she was, like, the best person ever. Mm-hmm. It's, like, I really liked her classes in, like, junior year. I had, like, a really good math teacher, so I always liked math. Mm-hmm. Which, usually, I didn't like math, you know? Yeah, usually I didn't either, but I really liked... Didn't like it and didn't feel like I was good at it until I took AP Calculus. Even though I took all honors math, yeah. I was, like, I'm bad at math because I was, like... because I felt like I was like because I would get a B or something in math or like I don't know but then I was like I actually think I'm good at math and then um my mom was like um yeah you're in all honors classes and you've gotten like at least an A minus or B in all of them Mm -hmm. and I was like oh yeah I forget B is like a good grade and C is like average or whatever (laughs) um so uh yeah so it's kind of strange but I liked my favorite thing to it depends like i have different things i like to learn about i know i always like touch it. i like my foot to like wrap around stuff <laughs> when i cross my feet and it's like just this the mic stand is here so i always touch it um i think my favorite thing to learn about is like biology or human physiology and stuff like that i really liked those classes but i also really enjoyed like book discussion like book analysis and discussions of books and I always liked reading so I think I I think I used to like writing papers until like they got like much harder and then I didn't have to write any papers my senior year because I didn't take an English class so or I took one half semester whatever I don't know I didn't take like a full year of it because it wasn't required what was your least favorite subject in school I guess, again, it kind of depended on the teacher that I had, mm-hmm. but I'd probably say, like, any science class, because I, I just, I enjoyed it my sophomore year, I think. Is that yeah, biology? Cause, yeah, because I liked the teacher that I had a lot, mm-hmm. and so, like, he actually made it really enjoyable, but, I, like, other than that, I just, I don't know, like, I'm not good at them, maybe that's why I don't like it, because I'm just, I just, it's so hard for me to, like, understand that mm-hmm. subject for some reason, um, but, like, because I've always wanted to be good at it, but for some reason, it's just never really... Licked, so I guess I was decent at it. I mean, I got all A's in every science class except for physics, and I took like it wasn't AP physics, but it was like college prep because mm-hmm. AP physics is two years or something. I hated physics. It's like, and it was the same math I was doing in calculus, but it just made no sense to me for some reason. I hate physics still. I never want to take physics again. <laughs> like, I don't know. I also never liked doing experiments in science class, which is strange. We didn't do a lot, but I never liked doing them. I just was like, just tell me the information. <laughs> like, especially physics. Like, I did not like building the cars or, like, I hated, like, 
I don't know if you took like a physics or doing the a lot no, like I took chem. I took it too, but like, um, did you do like, like did you ever do the like, what's it called where you like have a little square and you put wires in it? It's like the electric field thing that was no. so difficult for me to understand. Someone just like helped me like a lot and I probably failed the test. But he curved the exam because the quizzes were so hard. He took like the square root of the percentage, mm -hmm. so that was the curve. <laughs> this is a pretty good one, but I hate physics. I still do. Yeah, I like I said, I didn't have to take physics because it was either like we take that or chem. I think that was it for and us took, too. And I took chem, but I took it online, so I had to teach myself chemistry, which was god awful. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> I had I had kind of a weird teacher who left halfway through the year, which was kind of sad. But she was, like, real. a lot of people didn't like her, but I liked her. Like, she was fine. Like, people were just like, oh, she's horrible or whatever. But she was, like... You know, I had a lot of teachers like people said like that, too. Like, they would say stuff like that about it's them like, as well. But I loved them. Like, they were my, like, some also, of my favorite like, teachers. Also, like, they just didn't like her because, like, she was not nice to them because they were horrible students. Yeah, <laughs> like, they no, were mean yeah. to her. And then if you were nice to her and would ask her a question, she would be, like, really helpful. And, like... People were like, she's not good at chemistry. I'm like, she, and she was like, she used to be like a chemical engineer or something, but she became a teacher to like have the time off with her kids yeah. or something. And I was like, um, <laughs> I liked her, but I don't know. I mean, she wasn't like, a, like a no, yeah, super I amazing, mean, inspirational, whatever, but she was fine. No, I had a math teacher like that when we, like in middle school, maybe like mm -hmm. a lot of kids didn't like her, but she kind of like just. Like, one of the teachers that, like, if they, like, messed around, she'd be like, stop. Like, she wouldn't, like, play around kind of thing. Yeah. But, like, she was, like, one of the few math teachers that would, like, I, like, ask her questions, she would explain it, it would make perfect sense. Mm -hmm. So, I feel like I would have a lot of math teachers, a lot of times, would be, like, like, I'd, like, you know, ask them a question, and they would kind of just, like, rephrase what the problem said. I'm like, this doesn't really help me. And I'll be like, okay, thank you. And then, like, just try to figure it out. Um, yeah. I... I, I always have, like, I always, even if I don't love a teacher, I always really try to give them the benefit of doubt because my mom's a teacher, and I know that it's, like, kind of a horrible job. Not a horrible job, but, like, it's, like, a really thankless job. And, like, to be yeah. a teacher, like, you don't make a lot of money. Like, people are horrible to you. Like, a lot of times administration isn't even nice to you. Mm -hmm. Like, you really, like, want to help kids. So, I, like, I had a math teacher who, like, he would ask you, he's like, okay, do you understand what I'm talking about then? Like, when he would explain it to you, he was, like, my favorite yeah, math had, teacher. Yeah, and then I'd be like, um, and I'd be like, I think so. He's like, okay, well, maybe you should ask, try it and then come back and ask me a question. Like, he would, like, literally, like, like, make sure you understood, you know what I mean? Which yeah. was kind of nice, because, like, I, I usually just will be like, okay, I still don't understand what you're talking about. But, like, um... You're like, okay, well, what, what part of you, what part of this doesn't make sense or what question would you ask? I'd be like, I don't know what question to ask. You'd be like, okay, let's go through this step. What, does this make sense? This step, yeah. does this make sense? I'd be like, no, this doesn't make sense. He's like, what doesn't make sense? Like, he would help you, like. Yeah, I know. My, my favorite math teacher was like that, too. He was just very, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, he'd just be, do a very good job. you like, okay, if you don't understand, it's like, just let me know kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, and then the last one is, like, what's your favorite podcast or ones you recommend? Um, I don't listen to that many, actually. I listened, I used to listen to Jenna and Julian podcast, which I don't mm -hmm. know if you heard that, but they stopped, like, they ended it. Mm -hmm. And now I listen to one that's called Sweet Boys. Ooh. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not that. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I like, I like My Favorite Murder. There's, like, a couple that I've listened to that I like. It's, like, a season of one. Mm -hmm. So there's one, it's called Serial. It's about 
this lady, it's the first season of that, that she's done several other, she's an investigative journalist, and she did, like, it's about this, I can't remember the kid's name, but in high school, he was accused of killing his girlfriend, and he went to jail for it, but there's just, like, not a lot of evidence, like, either way, Mm -hmm. and so she tries to figure out, like, whether he did it, like, she, like, I don't know, and it shows, like, the phone calls with them, and it's pretty good, it was, like, interesting, um, it's, like, eight episodes, then, um, another one I really liked was, like, there was one, I can't, it's, like, Dr. Death or something like that, I don't know, it's about this, like, neurosurgeon who, like, basically conned his way and, like, destroyed people's, like, he would operate on them, but do it so incorrectly that he, like, destroyed their backs and stuff, but, like, he was operating for years because it's, like, if another doctor accuses a doctor of doing something like that, it's, like, slander or something like mm-hmm. that, and you can get sued for that. And so hospitals, like, when it, no one did anything about it. They just, like, let it happen because it's, like, because, like, <laughs> because it's, like, against the law for them to, like, say, like, hey, he's, like, actually hurting patients. He's harming them or whatever. Um, but, like, why was he doing it? Because he was just, like, crazy. Oh, like, he okay. just thought he was doing it correctly, or whatever. He, oh. like, conned his way through medical school. He was, like, narcissistic and, like... That's weird. Like, a <laughs> psychopath, sociopath. I don't know exactly what the right thing is, but... I turn on Siri. Yeah. I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> but that was really interesting. And he freaked out about the doctors. Oh, my gosh. And I, I like the, like, r slash podcast. That one's pretty... Like, it's just this guy, he just reads Reddit stuff. It's pretty funny like it's like he does like the r slash like entitled parents or entitled people or whatever mm-hmm. then he also does like like uh choosy beggars or what else what i like is like there's a malicious compliance one so it's like people like there will be certain like a lot of them are about a workplace like one the guy like i don't know he was supposed to be paid like a, like set amount instead of hourly because then he's on call or something like that mm-hmm. and the manager's like no you're gonna be on like pay like on call and he's like okay well i'm a contractor so like i this is my hourly rate and he's trying to warn him and then he like billed him like thousands and thousands of dollars because like i don't know stuff like yeah. that it's just kind of funny because it's like people don't like listen and so stuff like that that's pretty good i like a lot of podcasts i listen to them a lot at work because we can just put our headphones in at my All office right. and, like, um, do whatever. And music gets kind of, like, boring after mm-hmm. a few days. And I can't read audiobooks while working because I'll get distracted for, like, a second with, like, Yeah, do you ever do like, something, thing, like, if you're listening to it and you're, like, you're typing, you start typing out whatever? Um, sometimes. sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. I... But I don't type, I don't type that much. I just mostly do, like, other yeah. stuff. Um, like, I don't, like, write my own words. It's mostly, like, me, like, copying Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't really listen to that many podcasts. I like them, but it's, it's, I like them when I run too. Cause I like I don't know, music's like it's hard for me to find the exact music I want too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So or like work out, so it's almost more interesting. And then audiobooks, it's like hard for me because I could get distracted for one second, and then I just like miss like a whole chapter. It feels like so. Mm-hmm. Okay, did I go first? Last time, or did you? I think I did, because I did that hotel, right? Yeah, because I... Because yours, like, matched mine. mine. (laughs) Okay, so you go first this time. I had to figure out how to say mine, because I forgot to. I'm very sleepy. (laughs) Also, again, um, 
decide to sing loudly in my car on the way here, so oh, if my voice no. dies at some point, <laughs> you know why. <laughs> okay, so mine's actually, it's not terribly long. I kept trying to look at, like, I was clicking on, like, all these different um, websites mm-hmm. about it to try to, like, read the articles, but they didn't really have that much because there wasn't that much evidence or anything that really led to anything. Anyway, so mine's about the Isabella Stewart Gard- Gardner Museum theft. Okay. Um, so this happened on March, eight- March 18th, 1990. Uh, 13 works of art were stolen from the museum in Boston um, in the early hours. Uh, guards admitted two men posing as police officers responding to a disturbance call, and the thieves tied the guards up and looted the museum over the next hour. Um, the FBI has valued the hall at $500 million, um, and no arrests have been made, and no works have been discovered. Um, the museum is like, and I look, I think they're still offering this amount of money, but the museum's offering $10 million for, as a reward for any information leading to the arts recovery. Um... Sorry, I, <laughs> I stalled for a second. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the works uh, were originally uh, procured by art collector Isabella Stewart Gardner. Um, she passed away in 1924 um, and intended for a permanent display at the museum with the rest of their collection. Um, among them was the concert, one of only 34 known paintings by Johannes Vermeer. Did I say the first name, maybe? Um, and thought to be the most valuable un- unrecovered painting in the world. Um, they also stole The Storm on the Sea of Galilee, uh, Rembrandt's Only Seascape, other paintings and sketches by Rembrandt, uh, Degas, Manet, and Flink. Flink? Flink? I don't know. I'm not good with painter names. They're all kind of <laughs> weird. <laughs> um, were also stolen, along with a relatively valueless eagle uh, by Chinese Gu. Uh, experts are puzzled by the choice of artwork since most val- or since more valuable works were left untouched. The collection and its layout are permanent, so the display, so the empty frames remain hanging both in um, homage to the missing works and as placeholders for the return. Okay. Um, and the FBI believes that the robbery was planned by a criminal organization. Um, in the case, like I said, there's not a lot of evidence or physical evidence, like it lacks a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the FBI has largely depended on interrogations and undercover informants and sting operations to collect information. Um, they have pr- focused primarily on the Boston Mafia, which was in the midst of an internal gang war during the period. One theory is the gangster Bobby Donati organized it to negotiate for his capo's release from prison. Uh, Donati was murdered a year after the robbery. Um, other accounts suggest that the paintings were stolen by a gang in Dorchester, though they deny involvement even after a sting operation put some of them in prison. Um... All have denied any knowledge or have given leads that were fruitless despite being offered reward money, uh, reduced reduced prison sentences, and even freedom if they gave information leading to the art recovery. Hmm. So that's kind of the overall... I heard you water. That's um, the overall kind of summary of the entire thing. The next part is more about kind of like um, the lady who founded the museum. Mm Mm-hmm and the museum itself. So, Museum Stuart Gardner, um, my stomach just growled, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, she, the, the, the museum that's named after her was constructed under the guidance, um, of her to her, to house her personal art collection. 
Uh, the museum opened to the public in 1903, and Gardner continued to expand the collection and arrange it until she died in 1924. Uh, she left the museum with 3.6 million endowment, and her and her will stipulated that the arrangement of the artwork should not be altered, and no items were to be sold or bought into the collection. Uh, by the 1980s, the museum was running low on funds. Uh, this financial strain left the museum in poor condition. It lacked a climate control system and an insurance policy and was in need of basic building maintenance. After the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, if you didn't know that, <laughs> um, uncovered a plot by Boston criminals to rob the museum in 1982, the museum allocated funds to improve security. Among these improvements were 60 infrared motion detectors and a closed circuit television system consisting of four cameras placed among the building's perimeter. Um, there were no cameras installed within um, as the Board of Trustees thought installing such equipment in the historical building would be too expensive. Um, more security guards were hired as well. Um, but despite all these improvements, the only way police could be summoned to the art museum was with a button at the security desk. Um... So the next part is about the robbery. So the robbery occurred the robbery occurred in the early hours of Sunday, March 18, 1990. Uh, the thieves were first witnessed around 12:30 a.m. by several St. Patrick Day re revelers leaving a party near the museum. The two men were disguised, disguised as police officers and parked in a hatchback on Palace Road, about 100 feet from the side entrance. Um, and so people thought they were policemen, like they didn't think mm -hmm. anything of it, obviously. Uh, the museum guards on duty that night were Rick Abbeth, age 23, and Randy Hes Hestand, age 25. Um, Abbeth was a regular night watchman, and the other guy was, um, that was like his first nighttime mm -hmm. shift. Uh, the security policy maintained that one guard patrolled the galleries with a flashlight with a, and a walkie-talkie while the other sat at the security desk. Um, Abbeth went on, on patrol first. During his patrol, fire alarms sounded in different rooms of the museum, but he could not locate any fire or smoke. Abbott returned to the security room where the fire alarm control panel um, indicated. Uh, sorry, did I reread that? Oh no. Okay, no, it's the same thing. Sorry. Um, he returned to the security room where the fire for the fire alarm control panel indicated smoke in multiple rooms. He assumed some type of malfunction and shut down the panel. Um, he then went back around control but completed his rounds. Um, made a quick stop at the side entrance of the museum. Um, and briefly opened the door, shut it again. Um, and he, but he didn't tell, like, he didn't tell the guy why he was opening doors <laughs> and shutting them. <laughs> um, but so Abbott completed his tour, returned to the security desk around 1 a.m., at which point Hestan began his rounds. So then, at 1.20 a.m., the thieves drove up to the side entrance, parked, and walked up to the side door. They rang the buzzer, which connected them to the ab to Abbott through an intercom. Um, and then they explained to him that there were police investigating a disturbance and needed to be buzzed in. Um, he could see them on the closed circuit television wearing that what appeared to be real police uniforms. Um, but he let the men, that he let the men in at 124. Um, sorry, I was reading what that part said. Um, so these were let in were let into a locked foyer that separated the side door from the museum. Um, they approached Abathez's desk <laughs> and asked if anyone else was in the museum to, him to bring them down. So he radioed um, Hestand 
and so they both returned to the security desk. And around that time, um, Abbott noticed that the, that the mustache on the taller man was fake, or appeared to be fake. Uh, the shorter man told Abbott that he looked familiar, that they may have it weren't for his arrest and to come out from behind the desk and to provide it and, and to provide identification. Um, he complied um, and like stepped away from the button to alert the, the actual police. The shorter man forced Abbott against the wall, spread his legs, and handcuffed him. Um, Abbott, Abbott noticed he was not frisked, um, which means like checked, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, his stand walked into the room around this time, and the taller thief turned him around, and handcuffed him. One. Once both guards were handcuffed, the thieves revealed the true intentions throughout the museum and asked the guards not to give them any problems. Um, so they continued to wrap duct tape around their heads, eyes, and eyes of the guards. And then without any, without asking for directions, they led the guards into the basement where they were handcuffed to a steam pipe and workbench. Um, and they did examine their wallets of the guards and like told them that they knew where they lived and to not tell the authorities what happened or there would be consequences. Um, it took the thieves 11 minutes to subdue the guards, and by that time it was 11.35 a.m. Hmm. Um, so, this, when they were stealing the works, this took, I think they said, yeah, 81 minutes was like the whole, what, was what took the entire robbery to steal all 13 pieces. Oh, wow. So the first room that they entered was the Dutch room on the second floor, which that wasn't recorded until 1.48 a.m., um, this was 13 minutes after they finished subduing the guards, perhaps waiting to make sure no police were alerted. Um, so when the thieves approached the paintings in the Dutch room, a device began beeping that would normally trip when a patron was too close to the painting, and the thieves smashed it. Um, and so this is where they took the storm on the Sea of Galilee and the Lady and the Gentleman in Black. And they threw them on the marble floor, which shattered their glass frames, and then they cut the canvases out of their structures. Um, and they also removed a large Rembrandt self-portrait oil painting from the wall but left it leaning against a cabinet um and investigators think that maybe they considered to take the painting with them but it was too mm -hmm. large to transport so they just left it behind um and so instead the thieves took a small postage size stamp um self-portrait a small postage stamp size self-portrait etching by rembrandt on display beneath the larger portrait um and then they continue to take I'm not going to go through all the, all the paintings <laughs> that they took, but they, you get the idea, they took yeah. all the other paintings. Um, and then, like, before they left, they even checked on the guards one last time and asked if they were comfortable, which I feel like is hmm. kind of strange. Okay. Um, anyway, like I said, that only lasted 81 minutes. So the next shift of the guards arrived later in the morning and realized that, some, that something was wrong, and um, when they could not establish contact with anyone, anyone inside to be let in, so they called security... Gosh, sorry. They called in a security director who, upon entering the building with his keys, found nobody at the watch desk and called the police. Um, and so the police searched the building. That's when they found the guards tied in the basement. So, um, in, whoops. in 1990, uh, the FBI estimated the value of the hall at $200 million and raised this estimate to $500 million by 2000. Mm -hmm. In the late 2000, some, some art dealers suggested that the hall could be worth $6 million dollars. Um, was considered to be the largest museum heist in terms of value until it suppressed by the until it was suppressed by the Dresden Green Vault burglary in nineteen or in twenty nineteen. Hmm. Give me a moment. Get some water. My ice cube came with that. I'm like choking on it. <laughs> um. So the FBI took um control of the case. 
Um, like I said, there was a lack of a lot of evidence. Um, the thieves didn't leave behind any footprints or hair. It was inconclusive if this inconclusive the fingerprints left at the scene were from the thieves or museum employees. Um, they did do some DNA analysis in the years following as as advancements in the field grew. Um, some of the evidence has been lost among their files. The guards and witnesses in the street describe one thief as about 5'9 to 5'10 in his late 30s with medium build and the other 6 foot to 6 foot 1 in his early 30s with heavier build. So they did suggest, or not suggest, they did um, consider that maybe Abbott, the security guard, was um, part of the robbery because of his suspicious behavior on the night of the theft. Um, when he was like opening the side doors mm-hmm. and shutting them um and they said that maybe that was a move which some could believe could have been a signal to the thieves parked outside um he told the authorities that he did this routinely to ensure that the doors locked um one of his colleagues told journalists that if abbott had opened the door routinely as his ma- as maintained oh my gosh as he maintains supervisor i can't speak <laughs> supervisors uh would have seen it on the computer printouts and put it t- put it t- oh my god <laughs> Put a it's stop okay. to it. <laughs> like, my brain's moving fast. My mouth is moving faster than my brain. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm reading it, so in my head I'm processing it, but I can't get it out fast enough. I'll slow down. I'll try. <laughs> um, where was I? Okay, uh, more suspicion has been drawn from the museum's motion detectors, which did not detect any movement in the blue room uh, during the 81 minutes that thieves were in the museum. The only footprints in the room that night were Abbott. Abbott says uh during his security patrol a security consultant uh reviewed the motion detectors equipment several weeks after the theft and determined they were operating correctly um abbott maintained his innocence and the fbi agent overseeing the case in his early years in its early years determined the guards were too incompetent and foolish to pu- to pull off the crime so rude yeah um, <laughs> in 2015 the fbi released a security video from the museum on the night before the theft showing abbott but the buzzing in an unidentified man into the museum to converse at the security desk. Um, Abbott told investigators he could not re- recall the incident or recognize the man, and so the FBI requested the public assistance. Several former museum guards came forward and said the stranger was Abbott's Abeth- boss, um, the museum deputy security chief. Um, sorry, I'm there was a guy that was also suspected. He's mm-hmm. a, a very powerful crime boss in uh, Boston during the time. Okay. But I think I think they kind of just sorry, I was trying to read really quick. I think they kind of just nothing ever came to it though, you know. Mhm. Um in 1994 there was a letter sent to the museum. Uh, so, in 1994, museum director Ann Hawley received an anonymous letter from someone who claimed to be attempting to negotiate return of the artwork. The writer explained that there, they were a third-party negotiator and did not know the identity of the thieves. They explained that the, the artwork that was stolen was reduced to a prison's... Wait. Sorry, okay. Yeah. Uh, they explained that the artwork was stolen to reduce the prison sentence, but as the opportunity had passed, there was no longer a motive to keep... Uh, the artwork, and they wanted to negotiate a return. Uh, the writer also explained that the artwork was being held in a non-common law country under climate-controlled conditions. Hmm. They wanted immunity for themselves and other and the others involved. 
um, and 2.6 million for return of the artwork, which would be sent to an offshore bank account at the same time the art was handed over. Um, and they said, like, if the museum was interested in negotiating, they, pr they should print a coded message in the Boston Globe to establish cr uh, credence. The writer conveyed information only known by the museum and the FBI at the time. Hmm. Holly felt this was a strong lead, so she contacted the FBI, who then contacted the Globe, um, and they coded a message. A coded message was printed in May 1st, 1994. Um, Holly received a second letter a few days later, in which the writer acknowledged the museum was interested in negotiating, but had become fearful of what they perceived was a massive investigation by federal and state authorities to, different, to determine their identity. Uh, the writer explained that they needed time to evaluate their options, but Holly never heard from the writer again. Um, and there was a guy named Brian McDevitt, I think that's his name. Mm -hmm. He had attempted to uh, rob a different museum at the time, or a different art piece from a different museum at the time, but he passed away in 2004, so that he there was okay. really nothing they could go on with that. Um, I think before I had mentioned like the Boston Mafia, potentially, okay. or like a guy from it, but they said that a lot of the... I think they said that some of it was kind of merely speculation, mm -hmm. and that the people that were involved, or that, that they thought might be involved in the theft, had died, or were killed. Um, they did, and this is kind of like a wrap-up, I guess. So Boston authorities um, have arrested and charged 48-year-old Robert Viennes, a resident of Randolph, Massachusetts, uh, for smashing a glass door of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum last weekend. Um, oh, wow. I guess I don't know. I don't know when this article was written. I probably should have seen because I don't know. If, I think it last week it might have been like a couple years ago. Okay, I was like, wow, dang, <laughs> wow, girl. last weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that article was written a while ago. I okay. copied and pasted it, like the yeah. information or whatever wrote it, so I didn't have the thing in. Um, and there were some other attempted break-ins at the Notorious Museum around 4:30 a.m. on a Saturday morning at one point. Um. And that suspect shattered a glass door on the palace road side of the building using objects and then throwing stuff. I don't know. It sounds like a lot of it was, like, they had nothing to go on. Like I said, like, a lot of the articles uh -huh. were very short and just like, here's a piece that were stolen if you have information, contact, you know? Yeah. Um, in 2019, a man suspected of being involved in the heist um, was released from prison for a separate robbery. Um, but despite being offered a more lenient sentence if he coped or coped to any information about the case... Um, he denied any knowledge or involvement. Um, there are two men believed by many to have orchestrated the daring heist, um, but both have died. Uh, the historic crime, which involved posing as police officers to infiltrate the museum and tying up security guards, remains unsolved to this day. So, yeah. Wow. Here's my troubled speech about <laughs> what it was about. But, yeah, so the frames still are just hanging in the museum. Okay. There's empty, though. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That was mine. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> okay. Can I drink some water and I'll do mine? Oh, sorry. That was loud. My voice is starting to die. <laughs> okay. So I have, it's called, I don't know if I'm going to say this right because it's in like Celtic or something, but it's Amphir Lathmore or the Big Gray Man. Um, so the Big Gray Man of Ben McDewey. Um, or the, just the gray man is the name of the peach, of a creature, um, who is said to haunt the stomach passes of Ben McDewey, McDewey, I don't know if I'm saying that right, I'm sorry, which is 
um, the highest peak of the Carnegorms and the highest peak in Scotland. Um, this is basically like Scotland's version of the big, a big butt or the Yeti, mm -hmm. whatever. What are those called? Like crypto, cryptozoology or whatever. Um, those who have just described it say it's an extremely tall figure covered with short hair. Or they've said that it's an unseen presence that causes uneasy feelings to those who climb the mountain. Other eyewitnesses describe it as a large humanoid standing over 10 feet, ten feet tall sorry, and having olive-toed skin with long arms and broad shoulders. Um, evidence of the existence of this gray man includes various sightings, a few photographs of unusual footprints, and that's like it. This is like, there's not really much evidence. Yeah. <laughs> but um, nearly all of the reports of him include the sound of footprints crunching on the gravel and um, like they hear it, but it's just like out of sight. So like, this is what like the mountain up there looks like. Okay. So it's like really tall. So it's like blurry or there's a lot of clouds up there and it's like gravelly. All right. So the first ever recorded sighting of the gray man was reported in 19... 1891, but wasn't made public until 1925. In 1925, climber J. Norman Colley recounted the terrifying experience he had when he was up alone in the summit. Um, he said, I began to think I heard something else uh, than the noise of my own footsteps. Every few steps I took, I heard a crunch, and then another crunch as if someone was walking after me, but taking steps three or four times the length of my own. He was unable to make out the source of these noises because there's a mist around it. And he said, as the eerie crunch, crunch, crunch sounded behind me, I was seized with terror and took my heels, staggering blindly down the boulders for four or five miles. So he just, like, bolted out of the mountain. Oh my God. Like, down there. <laughs> um, his account was reported to the local press and followed by a correspondence on the subject. Um... Norman G. Forbes reported that he had heard a mysterious clanking noise while climbing, uh, let's see if I can say this, Bag, Bag, Reek, Bag, Reek, Bag, <laughs> sorry, um, in a summit miss, um, it ended up being a deer, but he did note that those, like, the mountains do have an uncanny power of inducing a feeling of eeriness. Um, the mind alone in a lonely place creates things of its imagination, so this guy's kind of like, yeah, like, I heard something up there, it was just a deer, but that mountain is, like, creepy up there. Mm -hmm. So, like, you feel, like, it's no wonder that you I feel that like, way. I would be so bad in that situation. I would just sprint. sprint. Even, like, I would, like, get up and be like, okay, I'm gonna go back down. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> um. I read all that. Okay, Sorry. I lost my place. Okay. Many climbers have reported a similar experience. Many describe an uncontrolled feeling of fear and panic. Um, some people see a huge gray figure behind them. Others only hear the sounds. Um, in 1904, climber Hugh D. Welsh um, heard unexplained slurring footsteps near the summit of uh, Ben McDewey. Too high? I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, and he had a feel eerie feeling of apprehension. While in 1945, Peter Densham, a mountaineer and rescue worker, heard a crunching noise and was overcome by a feeling of apprehension. In 1948, Richard Free, Freer, Freer, sorry, a climber, wrote about a sense of a presence utterly abstract but intensely real. 
on the mountain and heard an intensely high singing note. So it seemed like, like ah. the, you know, that one video of the the guy with the cowboy hat, the old man in the sky, that like just, that sings that. the note. I don't think I've seen it. <laughs> <that. laughs> oh, okay. That's what um, I imagined. Yeah, so it's just like everyone feeling like feeling these same really feelings of yeah intense uneasiness. I don't think anyone's necessarily even seen it. It's more like they feel the presence or they maybe see the figure or feel the figure. Um, I don't like that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> um, in 1958, an encounter was published in the Scouts magazine by naturalist the mountaineer Alexander Tweenon. Um, in October 1943, I spent 10 days... A 10-day leave, climbing alone in the Cardigorms. One afternoon, I just reached the summit um, of Ben McDuey. Uh, mist swirled around it, uh, swirled around the mountain. The atmosphere became dark and oppressive. A few fierce, bitter wind whisked amount the around the boulders. I typed this, so it's like all riddled with errors. Um, you type it as a riddle. Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> no. Um, the mist was all around the boulder, boulders and an odd sound echoed through the mist. This is like a quote from him. Mm-hmm. Um, a loud footstep did seem. Then another, and then another. A strange shape loomed up, receded, and then they came charging at me. Without hesitation, I whipped out a revolver and fired three times at the figure. <laughs> <laughs> he just has a revolver on him? Yeah, I mean, you're hiking in the mountains. I guess so, but still. Just... It's 1943. <laughs> when it came, it still came on. I turned and haired down the path, reaching Glendary in a time that I have never bettered. You may ask, what was really the fear, Lathmore? Frankly, I think it was. Oh, was it really the fear, Lathmore? Frankly, I think it was. So he ran down that mountain faster than he ever has before. So all the accounts are like this. There's not that much on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so sorry, but all of them are like, I saw this weird gray finger. It was a presence. It's just like super uneasy feeling. So the explanations, um, the first one is that illusions, hallucinations, and misinterpretations of natural stimulus, big words. Uh, <laughs> this is obviously my writing. No. Um, was brought on by exhaustion or just being alone up there. This is what psychologists have, like, said. It's just, like, because you're up there all alone, um, you're hallucinating, you're really tired, or just, like, yeah, you're just by yourself. The other explanation is infrasound, infrasound, <laughs> which I think I talked about before in another one when I did the incident at Dite Law Pass. Oh, maybe. Which is, like, it's that, like, wind that's, like, there's a certain way that the wind will blow. And it makes, like, some sort of sound or for the frequency or something it's at. I didn't look into it again, Mm -hmm. obviously. But, like, it generates, um, causes feelings of uneasiness and, like, intense anxiety, which would be connected to these paranormal sightings. And, of course, the feeling of uneasiness that everyone feels when they're up there. Um... And then the most, like, interesting one is this optical illusion known as Brocken Spectres, um, which is a, like, a possible explanation for this. Um, I have a picture of it. Basically, or it's called, 
It's often referred to as mountain specter. It can occur in a certain atmospheric conditions when the sun is at a particular angle. So the person's shadow can be cast onto a cloudy bank around them, creating the illusion of a shadowy humanoid figure. So, like, that kind of. Oh, yeah. So, it like, their shadow is projected onto the clouds in certain atmospheric conditions, and that's what people are seeing, this gray creature or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing um, that was, people said that it could just be, like, a manifestation of the spirit of the place. So, humans always transfer human characteristics to things around us. And, like, like you say, Mother Nature, or like, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So, they, another thing is, like, maybe there is some sort of gray man, but it's just a spirit of the, that mountain or whatever mm-hmm. that people are, like, can feel or are projecting, whatever. Um, so, yeah. Or it's just, there's a Bigfoot up there, which, the reason I did this is because I was like, should I do this or this or this? To Isaac, and he was like, ooh, do that gray man or whatever, because he loves Bigfoot. <laughs> he does. He loves Bigfoot. Um, and he was saying, he's like, I mean, like, not that he believes in it, but, like, there could be some weird stuff up in the mountains that we don't know about. I mean, think about the ocean, for example. Right. Like, there's so much, like, creepy stuff down there that we don't know about. Water dinosaurs. Yeah. Or, like... No. <laughs> yeah, or fish, which are evil. <laughs> I don't like fish. But, um... Yeah, so there could be something weird up there that we just can't see because people yeah. get freaked out or, like, I mean, the Yeti or whatever. Well, I don't know. That man f- fired his revolver three times. <laughs> <laughs> he fired it at his shadow. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, just kind of, like, strange how, like, I mean, not, not just this story, but, like, other ones, how many people, like, experience the same Same thing. exact thing, yeah. And not necessarily, like you said, not necessarily that they see anything, but it's just, like, everything is, like, just, like, the all the circumstances are, like are exactly always, the same. Yeah. yeah, and it's not like this is now, I guess, too. Like, it's not like this was, um, I guess I don't know if these people knew each other or ran in the same circles, but, like, now, like, you could find stuff, like, super easy, yeah, like, this information to, like, yeah. to be like, oh, I never heard of this thing before, and I still experienced it, so, like, you know, I mean, there could be something going on up there that's, like, not even in these explanations. Maybe he just wants a friend. Yeah, he's like, ooh, friends, and then there people are firing revolvers at him. He's like, what the heck? Like, I just came to say <laughs> I just wanted to give you a hug. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because, like, then there's, like, no, like, way of, not an easy way of transferring this information yeah. necessarily. Because another thing would be, like, yeah, well, they all experience the same thing is because they're, like, really nervous when they get up there because they're scared they're going to see the gray man or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um... It could be, like, the spirit. There's something up there. Like, treasure. I want someone to walk towards it. <laughs> do it. Go. You go to Scotland. I would never do it. I'm too paranoid as it is. To go up to the mountain? Yeah. I get halfway up, I'm like, oh, yeah, there he is. I see him. Just I saw him. down right now. <laughs> I can see him. Can you just look down at us, please? <laughs> please. Yeah, but I think there's no real picture of him. Like, when I looked it up, it's mostly just, yeah, like, that drawings. Nasty thing. Yeah. <laughs> the <Naked>. weird... <laughs> the weird... What's that guy's name? The... In the Greek mythology, what's his name? That wrote the books and things. The what's his name? It's with a D, doesn't it? That wrote the. I don't know what you're wrote, talking about. I don't know either. Anyway, that wrote like, are the Greek mythology. No, he doesn't. Re- he didn't write the Greek mythology. He was like, it's like Greek, but he wrote like the. Oh my God, what is it called? <laughs> Read him in school. Anyway, but that looks like a weird Greek drawing, of okay. like something from that story. Okay. Like the Odyssey. And yeah, stuff thank like you. That. Oh my gosh. 
Okay. I don't, remember the name. I don't remember his name, but it looks like a drawing from a book like that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's very it's very long trail to get there, yeah. but we got there. <laughs> yeah, I read the Odyssey too. Um I forgot about it though. Um yeah, that's all I have. Mine was really short because there's not a lot on this gray man, but I thought it was interesting and creepy. So I wanna read more like I guess it'd be kind of considered an urban legend, right? Yeah, or like, this is like cryptozoology. Like okay. the Loch Ness Monster. And yeah. Then... So I've always wanted to like read more of those things, but whenever I look them up, I always find the same exact things. I'm like, oh, that's boring. Yeah. Next week, or next time, I'll have... Like an interesting one. I saw, I just got an article. Well, this came from like one article when I was looking up like, I'm always like, interesting, weird mysteries mm -hmm. or something. And this came up, it was like, this is on another list of like all these urban legends or like whatever, so... Yeah, but that's all we have. Sorry, it's kind of short. Mine was at least. Um, yeah, but... and, and I didn't have a lot of time to repair this week, and so mine was kind of a mess. But like, okay. I mean, there wasn't that much to go off of anyway. Mm -hmm. It was just like the one article I found that had like some information about it. Yeah, when you else. don't do like some sort of case or like historical thing, it's really hard to find stuff on it. Like especially just yeah. like an urban legend, which this we can really do anything or conspiracy theory. Those you can find a lot on. But then it's hard to figure out, like, how much we should put, how much time you should put into this and how long these should be, you know, like, so I feel like I don't put a lot of time into the articles, even when I do, like, a murder where I include more mm -hmm. information, because it's, like, there's so much information, and there's only so little, like, time I have in the week and time for this podcast. Yeah. So. Okay, well, that's all we have. You can like, comment, subscribe, um... If you want us to do a mystery or an icebreaker, you can DM us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook message us. Um, you can follow us on any of those as well. Um, and then next week we are releasing our other episode. If you just like hearing little like topics and hearing us chat, I guess. Um, it's called Topics and Tea. Um, so you can check that out if you want to. But if not, then we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.